Good morning. Welcome to Southridge. Glad you guys are here on this Palm Sunday. Excuse us as we kind of get things set up here. Glad that you guys are all here. Looking forward to a great service together. I feel like I haven't been here in a while. I've kind of been here and there and uh, just kind of uh, uh, doing a lot last couple weeks. So I'm excited to be with you guys. Looking forward to what God has in store for us this morning. It's going to be a fantastic service. If you have your Bible, would you take it? Isaiah chapter number 55. Isaiah chapter number 55 this morning, if you have your Bible. And as we turn there... I need you to do something. I need you to find the best looking person next to you and say good morning, okay? You got to find the best looking person next to you and say good morning. And uh, hopefully you don't get offended if nobody says good morning to you. Don't worry. We're not trying to offend you, but uh, good morning. Welcome. We're excited that you are here. Looking forward to all that God has in store for us on this Palm Sunday. So many things happening. Looking forward to what God has in store for us. Can we stand out of respect for the word of God as we uh, read Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 55 won't keep you standing long, but we're going to read just several verses in the book of Isaiah, beginning in verse number one in the book of Isaiah. And we're going to dive into a special message, not really a series. This is kind of what I like to call more of a one-off type message. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do in our hearts. This is one of those messages where the Lord this week has been working in me. And I always know that it's going to be good if it's something where the whole week I've been nervous about, because that's where we know that our all right, the Lord wants to say something, wants to speak to us. So in Isaiah chapter number 55, let's pick it up in verse number one. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had one major problem. That was they kept turning to idolatry. Idolatry was the a worship of false gods. And a part of the Ten Commandments for the nation of Israel is thou shalt have no other gods before the one true God. And since Isaiah was speaking to a people that constantly suffered, here's what he's saying. And it's almost like he's comparing uh, what their idolatry is to what how good God can be. Here's what he says. He says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come you to the waters. And he that hath no money, come you buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And that day, uh, wine was all about joy. It was about lifting up the spirit. And then milk was in that day considered that's all you needed for life to sustain life. So he's saying in essence exactly what Jesus said in the gospels where he said, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy and my yoke is light and talking about the abundance of life and joy that is found in Jesus Christ. Here's the prophet Isaiah. He's saying, guys, look, you're going to false idols and you're going to other things that they're not satisfying you. And he's saying, come to Christ, come to God who can satisfy. Verse number two, he says, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Why do you waste your money on things that aren't going to satisfy is what he's saying. Maybe you and I, we've been there. You thought, man, I'm going to buy this sports car and this sports car will be the sports car to end all sports cars. As soon as I get that, I'll be happy. Or maybe you thought, hey, once we buy that house, man, then we're going to be happy. I mean, come on, five bedroom, three and a half bathroom. I mean, three car garage, beautiful yard. Once we get this house in that neighborhood, then I'm going to be happy. And then you got the house. And you're like, man, now I want a different house. Uh, Once you said, once I married that girl, man, if I could just be with a girl like that, if I could just be with her, then I would be complete. Then I'd be so happy. I'd be so satisfied. You're married now. You got that girl. How you doing? 
Because we always say like, man, if I could just be with that person or if I could just have that job, that would be the dream job to end all dream jobs. Hey, pastor, can you put me down as a reference? Can I use you as a reference? What do you, I thought you just got the dream job. Yeah, it's not as dreamy as I thought it'd be, you know? Because why? We're always looking for that next thing. We're always looking for that bread that's gonna satisfy. And here Isaiah is talking to a nation that they've chased a lot of different types of bread. And he says, why are you spending money on bread that's not going to satisfy? And your labor for that which satisfies not. He says, hearken diligently. Or in another way of putting it, it's almost like the prophet is saying, listen, listen to me. Sounds like Isaiah's a parent. You ever said that as a parent to your children? Listen, listen, listen to me. You just listen. And here's Isaiah trying to get the nation of Israel, trying to get get their ear back, trying to get them to listen to God. And here's why it's so important. Here's why it's so imperative that they listen. He says, listen diligently unto me and eat you that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Then he says in verse number three, incline your ear or give me your ear. Lean in close and come unto me here and your soul shall live. It's an interesting correlation that he's saying your ability to listen well will also correlate with your ability to live well. I didn't understand that at first until I became a parent. My children's ability to live because my kids are on self-destruct mode. I mean, there's a street and there's cars that go quickly. And if their ability to live long on this earth is going to be dependent on their ability to listen to my voice. Because when they're running out in the street and I say, Austin, stop, when the car is coming, if they don't listen, their life will be cut short. My dog, my puppy, her life is about to be cut short. If she doesn't, no, I'm just kidding. That would be terrible. Some of you are like, not the dog. No, save the dog. I, I sometimes get a little bit frustrated with my puppy. She doesn't always listen right away. And so we understand that listening and long living go inside. And here the prophet Isaiah is saying, hey, if you'll listen to God, if you'll listen to him, the quality of your life and the duration of your life will be better. Let's continue on this verse. He also says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the mercies of David. We understand, and I've been teaching as we began this year, that we don't live under the old covenant. We live under the new covenant. The old covenant in the Old Testament was all about conditions. You meet the conditions, you get the blessing. Jesus came and said, a new commandment I write unto you, a new covenant I'm bringing. That new covenant ushered in by Jesus Christ, there was nothing you could do about it. Have you ever thought why we worship on Sunday when in the Old Testament they would worship on Saturday? Is because you would work six days, then you would earn a day of rest. We worship on Sunday. Sunday is, help me out church, is the what day of the week? First day of the week. We rest, then we work. You don't earn salvation. God's saying, hey, you don't have to earn my rest. It's free. I give it to you first. Do you see how the old covenant worked? See how the new one worked? Do you see why we worship on Sunday? God is saying, hey, I want you to start understanding that I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you joy. These are all the things that Isaiah is saying to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, it's almost like they've got cotton balls in their ears. And they're not listening. And Isaiah is saying, just listen if you would just listen. This morning, I've entitled this message simply, Dialogue and Destiny. Because our destiny is determined by the dialogue that we have. Many today, I think the number one area we struggle with in our Christian life is really discerning and hearing 
the voice of God. I meet all too, many, too, too often, I meet people that they say, I'm going to take this job in another city. And then I say, okay, that's great. That's exciting. Promotion, that's excellent. Did God lead you to do it? No, I just want the promotion. I want the, the bigger bucks. No, no. Are you hearing from God on this? You're about to uproot your family. You're about to uproot your life. Is God leading you to do this? I see people that they're, they're about to make a major move in their marriage. Hey, is God leading you to do that? Or are you just, it feels right. Our feelings are horrible predictors about the future. They're not safe. They're a horrible barometer. And too often we meet people, instead of in tune with God and what God wants to say, they're just doing their own, making their own decisions. Now, to be careful, I almost want to jump on this too soon to start preaching, but you're standing. What we need to do right now is ask the Lord's blessing on our service. We've laid the foundation. We're going to talk about this morning is listening to God, learning to hear the voice of God above all others. Dear Heavenly Father, as we begin this Palm Sunday, we desperately need to hear from you. Lord, we are making such major decisions in our lives on a daily basis. And too often we're guilty of not simply remembering James 1.5 to ask for wisdom, to hear from you as we make these decisions. My prayer this morning is that we would be a church. We would take this message. We would internalize it and we'd be better at listening to your voice. Help us this morning. Help me as a preacher to deliver your word. I pray that you would eliminate distractions. I pray that you would do a work that I simply cannot do in the hearts and lives of people. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have a free reign in this place. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as you're seated, touch somebody next to you and say, dialogue and destiny. Dialogue and destiny. Dialogue and destiny. How many of you parents, your children, you can pick out their scream or their cry in the middle of any crowd? You can just pick out their scream. You just, you just got it. Yeah. I never understood that. You'd go to a playground, see all these kids, or better yet, go to Disneyland, and everybody's screaming, everybody's crying. And it's just kind of like white noise. But then, as soon as I started having children, and as soon as they cried, I could hear their cry out of everybody else's cry. It was amazing how I could tune out everybody else's voice and hear the one voice. But it takes some work. It doesn't just come naturally. For some of you this morning, you're saying, hey, there are so many voices competing for my attention. And you have them. For some of you, it's the voice of your spouse competing for your attention. For some, it's the voice of your boss that's competing for your attention. For some, it's the voice of March madness and my bracket has gone completely to pieces and it's like just so frustrating and now I'm way off and now I'm not going to get back my money from Vegas. I can't believe I bet it on that. I can't believe I invested there. And oh, oh, you're all good Christian people. You would never, ever do that. Oh, I'm sorry. I must be in the wrong theater. All right. Bunch of sacrilege. No, I'm just kidding. But when it comes to these things, we have these competing voices, and it's hard to discern God's voice through all the noise. So this morning, we're going to learn, how do we hear God's voice above all others? Because we've all been guilty at times of listening to every other voice but God's. Following a friend's advice, following our own feelings as advice instead of tuning into what God would have us. So what is keeping you from actively and accurately hearing from God? And don't just shut this message out like, oh, I've kind of got this down and I just follow a simple, easy process of in the multitude of counselors. So I talk to counselors and and I may fast over it and and then I just kind of make a decision. No, I think there's a little bit more to it than just that. 
And I hope we don't say, well, this is a good message for maybe the young people to hear. This is, this is something that would be good for somebody that's really struggling with some major decisions. But right now, I'm not really in the major uh, midst of transition or I'm not really in the middle of, of big, bad decisions. So I, I don't know if I need this, so I'm going to check out. I don't want you to do that. Because I believe the quality of our life is conditioned on the principle of how well are we listening and hearing from God. We need that on a daily basis. I want to make sure I'm hearing from God each and every single day. And the way I interact with my spouse, the way I interact with my children, that I am hearing from God, that I know that I'm living and I'm being the right type of husband, the right type of pastor, the right type of friend and coworker. And so to do that, I need to hear from God. But too often... There's this dialogue that's going on. And if you want to jump in, write this in your notes. We need to decide who we will dialogue with. Now, I don't want to be labeled as the pastor that hears voices, but guess what? I hear voices. And they're competing constantly for my attention. There's the voice of my flesh. It just says, Micaiah, do whatever you want. Then there's the voice of the spirit that says, no, no, walk in the spirit. Walk in life. Do what is right. There's these constant competing voices. Then there's the voice of image in my pride that says, you know what? Dress like this. Act like this. Uh, behave like this because you want to appear a certain way. Then there's the voice of the inner critic that's constantly critiquing. Oh, your hair doesn't look right. Oh, this is out of place. Oh, you're never going to measure up. And it's just that inner critic. And they don't think you're funny. And they don't think you're talented. And why are you up there? And and why are you doing this? And, And they don't get you. And it's just the inner critic. And for some of you, you've got these voices. Now, you don't have to raise your hand and say, yes, I hear voices. You know, we don't want your neighbor to wonder about you. And, and I see some of you wanted to scoot over a seat. Don't do that and make somebody feel awkward or anything. But we all hear these voices that are competing for our attention. Some of you say, I don't necessarily directly hear from Satan. But imagine for a second, as we go back to Genesis chapter number three, we've touched on this recently. But Eve's problem in Genesis chapter number three wasn't so much the fact that she was tempted to eat the fruit. Her problem starts sooner than that. Her problem started the moment the serpent opened his mouth and asked Eve a question. Now, when somebody asks you a question, you have the ability, you have the the right, you can either answer the question, engage in the conversation, or you can say, no, I'm not going to engage in this conversation. This is a snake, this is Satan, this is the devil. But as soon as she engaged, that's where her problem started. Some of you engaging voices and you're listening to voices and you're having this dialogue with voices and this dialogue is going to determine your destiny because the voice that you listen to will determine the life that you experience. And some of you, you're listening to a voice that's saying, hey, I don't know if church is such a big deal. You went once last year. Why do you need to go again this year? I mean, come on. It's not like you need it every Sunday, right? Or, 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 or why do you bring your Bible to work? Or why are you always uh, living such a way? Or why when you're at the party, you don't do certain things? Or, and, and there's always these voices that are competing. And so the dialogue that you listen to is going to determine the life you experience. So we need to decide who we are going to dialogue to, with. My question for you this morning is, who are you listening to? The Bible says that the servant was subtle, meaning the fact that not that it was just kind of like very soft-spoken, but it was crafty, it was sneaky. It came to her underhanded, and it asked Eve this question. It said, hey, yea, hath God said, bring up this question. You see, as long as you're believing a lie, you're never free to live the truth. You see, Satan wanted to cast doubt. Now, let me touch on doubt. Some of you, you've experienced some doubt in your Christian walk. And some of you, you're really worried by the doubt that you're experiencing. 
actually, I don't look at doubt as a horrible thing. I don't look at doubt in my Christian life as a debilitating thing. You say, why? I'm glad somebody doubted that the earth wasn't flat. Aren't you? I'm glad somebody doubted that man, yes, they can fly there. It's not that they won't. You see, your doubt actually helps you to overcome some of the challenges. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, I'm just checking out Christianity. I don't know if this is real. I don't know where I'm falling in this. I want to encourage you. Seek out, take that doubt, and may it channel you to find the answers you're looking for. Don't just sit in your doubt and just say, well, that's it. You know, I mean, I'm just stuck here. No, no, our doubt should lead us to a place to find the answers, to find what God is speaking to us. But Satan is trying to cast a different kind of doubt trying to cast a doubt that really is more distracting us from hearing God's word. And that's what Satan wants to do. Some of you this morning, you're already distracted. I, I, uh, every Sunday morning, my OCD brain, there's tons of distractions. There's the distraction of a banner is not tilted just certain away. There's a distraction that every Sunday I trip on these cords. There's a distraction this morning. I don't know what these are, but they're just here and they're just bothering me. There's all these distractions. There's, there's the distraction that, oh, this, this wasn't set up, but the sign's crooked or, 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 or Austin or Megan are doing this. There's all kinds of distractions that are competing for my attention. The other distraction is, is BJ's going to be crowded after church today. I mean, there's all kinds of distractions. And guess what? You have the same distractions. And so Satan is going to play off of that. And what he's going to try to do is to get you focusing on that distraction. So you miss what the Holy Spirit is saying. He's going to use distraction. Not only does he use distraction, he says, hey, truly, really, did God say that? Like, come on, Eve, would God really say no? If God is so good, so loving, did he really say that? Not only will he distract you, he wants to distort God's word. You ever met somebody that you and them can look at the exact same verse and come to two different conclusions? They are just, they take a verse and they can just be so hateful. They can just be so mean. They can be so judgmental. And you see the exact same verse and you're, instead of being hateful and judgmental towards others, you're saying, hey, that's something I need to work on in my own life. Not point the finger at somebody else. And yet it's the same verse, but you guys come to a different view. One comes to what we would say a distorted view. Satan would love to take the word of God and then distort it in your life. That's what he would love to do. He'd love for you to take a little passage and just kind of, oh, hey, there's my verse for uh, why I should do this or why I should do that instead of seeing the truth that is in God's word. So Satan will distract you. He will distort you ultimately to destroy God's word from getting to you. Because the Bible says in the same passage, this same passage says God's word will not return void. God's word is powerful according to Hebrews chapter number four, verse number 12, that God's word will work. It's too often I hear preachers and they're saying, man, my messages just aren't powerful enough. Just not getting there. Are you too much worried about the jokes or the illustrations? Or are you really concerned about helping your people learn the word of God? Because if people get the word of God into their life, it's exactly like when you get your heart rate up at a workout. After you stop that workout, guess what happens? Because your heart rate is up. You're still burning calories long after you left that gym. So if I can get God's word into your heart long after you leave on a Sunday morning, guess what's still working in your heart all week? The word of God. It's not my voice you need to remember. It's the voice of God working inside of you. That's why we encourage people to memorize the word of God. That's why the Bible says in Psalms 119 to hide God's word in your heart. This is where scripture memory for a believer is so powerful to get God's word into your heart. There's so many competing voices in your life. Take God's word and say, Lord, I'm gonna hide this down deep. I'm gonna get it into my very fiber. I want it to be something that just is a natural reflex that I go to God's word. That when I'm afraid, 
I go right to the Psalms where it says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. When I am discouraged, Lord, and I feel overwhelmed, that's when I'll go to 1 Peter chapter number 5, verse number 7, where it says, cast all your burden upon God, for he cares for you. I want to go directly to these verses. But if you don't have these things hidden in your heart, you don't always have a big old Bible around you. Now, I love modern technology. I would download a Bible app on your phone just so you have it. I download a Bible app on your iPad just so you have it, on your computer just so you can have it. Get God's word with you constantly. If you're struggling with this particular sin or you're struggling with a certain uh, maybe depression or discouragement, what are you feeding yourself with? Are you feeding that discouragement? Are you feeding that frustration? Or are you saying, you know what? God's word is powerful. God's word can change my spirit. It's interesting in this passage as you look at it in Isaiah. He says in verse number 55, in verse number 2, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which satisfies not? Listen diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight. It's interesting that he's using, hey, physical food, and then talking about your soul. I want to use this correlation. The thoughts that you think are to your soul, what food is to your body. What are you taking into yourself? What thoughts are you allowing to go into your life? Are they just raw, unfiltered thoughts? Or are you saying, no, no, I want to have the right type of thoughts? Because there is a war going on today. It's the war of words. And we need to win the war of words. What words are we listening to this morning? The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 17, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because why? The word of God is powerful. And Satan wants to do nothing more than to destroy the word from getting to you. He can't destroy the word in you, but he'll try to destroy it from getting to you. And this morning, some of you, you could say, yeah, this morning was rough getting to church. I got several text messages about half of our worship team. They all were just like, hey, it's a rough morning. Something's happening. And immediately, I know what's going on. Don't judge them and think, well, they're just lazy. They don't have character. Not at all. What it actually is, is Satan trying to say, hey, I'm going to stop the word from working in their life. And for some of you this morning, when you hit that alarm clock to get out of bed, there was a big impulse to just say, forget it. I'm just going to stay here. I'll catch the message on podcast on a Tuesday morning. It'll be good, you know, or I'll watch Joel Osteen or I'll, I'll, I'll find somebody online or something that I can listen to to get the word. But I'm glad that you overcame that thought, that you overcame that ability to say, hey, I'm going to get to church. Why? Because I want to hear God's word as it speaks to my life, as it encourages me. There's great power in the word of God. It was in the word that the world was formed. It was in a word. It was in a word that brought Lazarus to life. It was in his word that gave sight to the blind. It was in his word that changed you and I. Never underestimate the power of the word of God this morning. God's word at work in your life. Are you letting it work? Are you letting it work in your family's life? Are we taking time to make Bible, the Bible a priority? You may not be able to sit down and have devotions every week. I'll be honest. I don't have personal devotions with my family every single day. But on Saturday mornings, I want them to see their dad on a Saturday morning sitting at the table with a cup of coffee with the Bible open, reading some verses. Why? Because I want them to know it's important. I want my children, my family to know the word of God needs to have a priority in my life. It needs to be a chief place. Why? Because I need its cleansing power. I need its healing power at work in my life. So we need to decide who are we going to have a dialogue with. This week, you interacted with... 
probably hundreds of people. And you had all kinds of dialogue this week. Some of it was really encouraging. Some of it was really discouraging. Maybe you got bad news this week. Maybe you got good news. Maybe you had a good conversation with somebody who just encouraged you. And you guys laugh and told stories. And you walked away just feeling refreshed. God is saying, hey, let's make sure the conversation, the dialogue is always also you're adding vertical. That you're having this constant dialogue with him. Not only that, but then also we need to be careful because we were talking about distraction. But some of us are distracted to the point of despair. You said, what do you mean? We're so focused on hearing and we want to hear, but then when the distractions come, we can get so off. What, and, and some of you say, you know what? I have this great desire to hear from God. I want to be closer to God. I want to hear what God is speaking to me. So what is stopping you from hearing from God? Because I've been there. We open up a Bible and we're just kind of like, you know what? Uh, all right, God is what, what verse? And you try to find what, what God is speaking. You're just like, I'm not hearing from God. And I want to hear from God. And I'm so distracted. I just feel like, man, I'm slipping into despair here because there's no distraction. There's an Old Testament character by the name of Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet. He called down fire from heaven and turned the nation of Israel back towards following God. But there was this queen by the name of Jezebel that sent Elijah a death sentence. Said, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make you just like these other prophets that are dead. And Elijah ran for his life. And he was so discouraged, the Bible says, that he even said to God, he said, it would be better that I had just died. Let's pick up this story because I think it'll help shed some more light on this being distracted beyond to the point of despair. In 1 Kings chapter number 19, verse number 9, the Bible says this, And he, being um, uh, Elijah, came unto a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, God of hosts, for he and for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down the altars and slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek me, seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And And behold, the Lord God passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in the cave. And behold, there came a voice with him. And it said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I think too often we want to see God show up in these big moments. We're discouraged. We're in despair. And it's at those moments we're saying, God, would you just speak so loudly and so clearly to my situation? Because I'm so distracted. And so because I'm so distracted, God, I just need you to just speak through and just pierce all of it so I can hear you. But then instead, God does almost the exact opposite. Instead of God speaking louder so you could hear him, he speaks softer in a whisper, just a still small voice. And when you look at that passage, as you see that God is speaking this whisper, hush tones, immediately, we almost don't get it, do we? But then we got to think back to those days when we were maybe dating our spouse, dating that special someone. There are those special moments when you'd sit next to him and you would talk in a whisper. And there was something about that whisper. It brought you closer together. You would have to lean in to hear each other. You'd have to get closer. Guys, take notes. If you whisper, you have to get closer. (laughs) 
God is saying this morning, church. He's saying, you want me to shout? What I'm saying, no, you got to come closer because I'm going to whisper in your situation. I'm going to whisper truth to you. I'm going to whisper things into your spirit. I'm going to whisper things into your soul. I'm going to whisper life back into you. And some of you, you just want God to clear the clutter. When God is saying, no, you need to learn to hear my voice this morning, church. You need to learn to tune in. But too often, it's our thinking. It's our thinking. Some of us, we can't hear from God because our thinking, you see, we're taking in these thoughts. And we consume our thoughts, and then our thoughts consume us. And you've been there where you take in this thought and you have this thought about a business deal or about a situation and it consumes you. Right now, there's things on my mind and last night I'm just lying awake in bed and my mind's just consumed with these thoughts and it's, it, it's 1230 and it's 1 a.m. and I'm just like, I need to get some sleep. But my mind's just consumed with these thoughts and I lean over and grab my phone and try to jot some lights and then all of a sudden I feel Jane's hand like slapping the phone, you know, and missing and I don't know why she was slapping my face. I think that was a key or something, clue there. But it's like, you know, my mind just occupied with thoughts. And you're taking in thoughts that aren't always positive. They're negative. And they're consuming you. You're filled with self-doubt. You're filled with discouragement. Instead of letting the thoughts encourage you and bring you closer to God, we're consumed by our thoughts. And then our thoughts consume us. The Bible says right here in this passage that we are to feed ourselves on good thoughts. But most of the time as a church or as Christians, we don't think about what we're thinking about. Philippians chapter number four, verse number eight. It says, whatsoever or whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are just and pure, think on these things. God is very specific about what he wants your mind and my mind to be occupied with. What occupies most of your time? Too often, I think it's so many negative thoughts. It's been calculated that we think over 40,000 negative thoughts in a day. 40,000 negative thoughts. Can you imagine that? Think about this, for example. The thoughts that you think about, the thoughts that come into your mind, you would never let somebody talk to you the way you talk to you. I'm so stupid. Can't believe I'd do that. Man, I look like an idiot on that date. I can't believe I would say that. I can't believe I would mess up that sales call. I can't believe that I would say that to my kids. I can't believe I would say that to my boss. Man, I'm so foolish. I'm so dumb. And guess what? That's putting it G-rated for church, right? Like, we don't always keep it G-rated when we're talking to ourselves. Some of us, we go PG. Gosh darn it, stupid fooey. You know, I mean, we just really get upset like that, you know? And it's just like, whoo, man, I can't believe it. Oh, losing my cool here, you know? And finally, you guys are waking up. I was wondering when it was going to take, you know, to kind of get you guys alive a little bit this morning. But when it comes to our thoughts, we take in these thoughts and we need to be careful because too often we let our thoughts just go unfiltered. Some of you, you, you've got, you, the way you talk is so filtered. I mean, it is down. The way you talk, you are awesome. I mean, you should be up here. You can speak so, so eloquently. It's so perfect. Each word carefully timed, carefully chosen. Not me. Not me. I try, try to make sure it comes out a certain way, and it never does. I was in college, and um, back then, it was just kind of the thing you would just say. You know, you were just on campus. I was new as a freshman, and, uh, you know, just hanging out with the upperclassmen. My brothers were all upperclassmen, so I knew some upperclassmen and that type of thing. And it was just something you'd say. You'd say, man, you know, they would say, well, I'm, I'm a dorm supervisor. I'm this. And you'd be like, oh, you're like the big man on campus. That's just awesome. You know, just like big man on campus. It meant like you're the man, right? 
Any of you ever said anything like that? No? Okay, well, you can just watch me in my ignorance. And so I was just like, everybody was saying, yeah, hey, you're the big dog on campus, or you're the big man on campus. And I was in a meeting, a smaller meeting, and in this smaller meeting, I turned around to talk to the girl next to me, and that's where it went all bad, all right? And I turned around, and she was like, I was like, hey, I'm a freshman, what year are you? She was like, I'm a senior. And I was like, oh, you're like the big girl on campus. I don't know why I said it. Because she literally was the big girl on campus. Like, literally. Don't make me, like, illustrate this. But all of a sudden, it was just like, she looked at me, and she was about to kill me. We were at a Christian college, and it was just like, it was, it was not going on well. And it was one of those moments, you're just like, I'm an idiot, unfiltered. Some of you, that's your mind, totally unfiltered. You just let thoughts just fly through your mind, horrible thoughts, just ungracious thoughts, just terrible thoughts, insecure thoughts, thoughts that just tear you down, tear other people down. I mean, you ever had that where your boss gives you a wrong list or wrong look, wrong review and man in your mind you were like i am out there just beating down his car slashing his tires and just doing all kinds of mean things and then all of a sudden they interrupt your thought bubbles and you're just like whoa hey and you kind of already feel guilty even though you didn't really do it you know or you woke up from a dream where you did something messed up to somebody and you're like wait did i really do it or was that just a dream was it Jacqueline and hyde thing or was it real why because we already feel that sense of guilt why because our thoughts go unfiltered and we've got to be as christ followers people who say you know what? if god's going to speak to me i can't allow my thoughts just to go unfiltered i have to be i have to have a focused mind matter of fact in second peter 3 2 it says this that you would be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and by the commandments of the apostles and by the lord our savior It's saying, hey, we should be mindful of those things. What is it talking about? We have, and we're reading what would be the prophets, the commandment, the apostles, that's the New Testament. And then it also talks about, and the word of the Lord, our Savior. It's basically saying everything that God said, that's what we should be mindful of. Our mind should be in an attitude, in a state of, hey, am I meditating? Am I reflecting on these words, the words that God has for me? And we constantly need to be soaking our minds in that. Because otherwise, we we give in to false thinking. But in Elijah, Elijah's case, it wasn't just that he had this warped mind because he even tells God, hey, I'm the only one. There's nobody left. I, I was doing what you wanted me to do. Nobody else was, God. But it was just me. You know what he came to? The wrong conclusion. You ever came to the wrong conclusion about somebody? Why? Because you had a wrong opinion or a wrong thought about somebody? You ever met somebody, you always thought they were stuck up, and then you actually had, had to take a business trip with that person? You're like, oh, great, this person's so arrogant, so stuck up, can't, oh, they, they're so, so rude and so, so stuck up and, and so this. And, and, and I used to think my wife's best friend was that way. Like, she was just, I was, I was like, man, I would tell all the time, I don't know why she's your friend. She just thinks she's all that. And then I got to hear her story, and I was like, oh, okay. Because why? Our thinking, our thoughts can lead us to the wrong conclusion. Some of you, you're jumping to the wrong conclusion. Why? Because you don't have the right context. Here's Elijah. He's jumping to the conclusion. I'm the only prophet. I'm the only one that's left doing right, God. I'm the only one, and now you're letting somebody come against me? You're letting this queen want to take my life? 
You see, some of you, that's exactly where you're at. You've jumped to this wrong conclusion. Why? Because you don't have the full context. You see, Elijah didn't know that there was the king's right-hand man had hidden 7,000 prophets. He was hiding them in caves, taking care of them and feeding them. You're not the only one. You're one out of 7,000, Elijah. You need to put your thoughts into context. And some of you, you're jumping to a conclusion because you don't have the context. And when it comes to even the situation you're in right now, you say, I'm going through a lot of pain. I'm going through a lot of heartache and God, it doesn't make sense. And I don't know why you would do this. And I need you to this morning, put your pain in context. I need to put you, your situation in the context of God's purpose, because God wants to do something in that situation. But you constantly jump into the wrong conclusion. God just hates me, but loves everybody else around me. Even the homeless person is doing better than me. And we just kind of jump to these outlandish conclusions. Why? Because we have the wrong frame of reference, the wrong wrong context. And so we need to establish context before we jump to conclusions. You see, Elijah was fixated on how he thought things were supposed to be and not on how things actually were. Maybe you're in your marriage right now and you're fixated on how you thought things were supposed to be. They're supposed to be perfect. Oh, it's supposed to be just like this. I'm supposed to come in exact. And the wife's thinking, he's supposed to be here at 5.30 every day. He walks in. He plays with the kids for a half hour. And then he comes in the kitchen. He finishes up dinner. He sets the table. We sit down. We hold hands. We then pray the, 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 the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We lift hands. We sing a hymn. And then we partake of the bountiful feast which God has provided. And then after that, my husband gets up. He, he, he stands whenever I leave the table, he takes our dishes. He washes all the dishes. He cleans the rest of the house. He then gives me an herbal bath and a foot massage. And then he he puts me to bed and doesn't try to do anything else, you know, and then he takes care of the kid's homework. And that's your mindset. And the guy's just thinking, when I get home, I'm going to watch March Madness. And I hope that wife has got some food for me. I hope she's got my beverage right there in a cup with ice. And I just want a foot massage and hopefully something else. And I just hope the kids just behave and just are quiet in the corner because this is kind of what I expect. And guess what? Both of you come home very disappointed because none of that happens. Why? Because your expectation was totally unrealistic. And so you both are disappointed. Elijah had fixated on what he thought. I'm going to preach and the nation of Israel is going to come back to God. Bless God. And it's going to be a revival and it's going to be awesome. And everybody's going to be wearing culottes and they're going to be, uh, you know, wearing dresses. And the guys are going to be wearing suits and ties. And we're going to sing hymns and we're going to gather around, sing, hold hands, hold, sing kumbaya. And that's kind of what we, maybe what he expected. And he got fixated on that and it didn't happen. Now he's discouraged. Now he's saying, I just want to end it all. And some of you are at that point. Because your dream is dead. You're thinking life is not worth living. And as soon as we put it like that, now you're kind of like, oh, wow, that was pretty dumb the way I was thinking. See, too often, I think that's what we do. We come up with these outlandish conclusions where we think death is the only alternative. And it's not. Are you amazed at how teen suicide is this astronomical figure nowadays? I am. I mean, it's it's out of control. And then we step back, and then we look at what they're going through, and you're thinking... Yeah, bullying's a real deal. Like, I'm not downplaying it. But the fact that you were bullied because of a picture you posted online, and now you feel like you've got to end your life? A little bit outlandish, right? A little bit, like, extreme. And I know we've never been their age in this age. You know what I'm saying? Like, we were their age, but we weren't their age in this age. I mean, times are different. Come on. 
You know, my dad, when he went to school, you got detention for not picking up your trash. I mean, if that was the worst of the problems we had today, like, things would be pretty good. Nowadays, people are packing AK-47s in their backpacks, and people are bringing C4, and you're like, what in the world? What's going on with our schools? And so now we're wondering what's going on. But here we need to get back to the fact that there's this thinking. We need to channel our thinking in proper context. And we could spend a lot of time here. But Jesus is the perfect picture of context. Jesus stepped into our context, became a human, and walked in the world for 33 years. He said, I'll step into your context. I'll step into that. And he lived that out. We could spend so much more time. We don't have a lot of time. We've got to keep moving. Notice thirdly and finally, no one has ever drifted to their destiny. Take a look, if you would, in Isaiah chapter number 55, verse number 6. The Bible says this. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Another way of saying it, and this is what uh, theologians say, the literal translation is, seek the Lord because he may be found. Call upon him. He is near. Repent before you die, for after death there is no conversion of the soul. He's saying there's a limited time to come back to God. There's a limited time to seek God. You and I may feel like, well, we're going to live forever, and I can get my life in order later, and I can fix this, and I'll hear from God next week or the week after. And what he's literally saying here, he's saying, hey, you're not guaranteed forever to seek God and hear from God. This has got to be something where we say, I'm going to live a moment-by-moment life just in constant communion and connection with God. And I constantly want to be hearing from God. But instead, we're not. And I want to say it like this. We need to be intentional about our seeking God. It can't be accidental. Or this way, and this is in your notes, no one ever drifted to their destiny. No one ever drifted to their destiny. None of us here this morning are ever going to drift into a passionate, holy, evangelistic, fervent walk with God. You're not going to drift into it. It's going to take intentionality. You're going to have to work at it. Just like your marriage, you can't just think, well, I just suppose things will just happen and work out. It's not going to. Just like your job. Well, I just think that I'll just drift towards the bonus and I'll just drift towards things getting better. It never works out that way. You don't drift towards a chosen destination. It never works out like that. And so many Christians that I meet, man, on Sunday, it's like I'll go to church on Sunday, but then the rest of the week, I'm just going to kind of live how I want to live. And you honestly think you're going to end up at a good destination? It doesn't work that way. We need to be drift. We can't just drift. We need to be driven towards our destiny and not drifting along. The Bible is very specific saying, hey, seek the Lord. But we can't seek him if we're constantly listening to the wrong voices. A great illustration of this is Jesus. In Matthew chapter number 3, he's been baptized. Chapter number 4, he goes into the wilderness. The Bible says for 40 days and 40 nights, he's fasting. During that time of 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, which 40 minutes for me of fasting is pretty desperate. I mean, it's, it's a food crisis at that point. You know, we got to get some food. It's been 40 minutes. We need to eat. We need to stop right now. But he had gone 40 days and 40 nights without eating, and then Satan comes to him. Any of you had to go to the hospital for a surgery or a procedure where you couldn't eat or drink anything for like 12 hours before? Wasn't that miserable? Like just the worst 12 hours of your life. You're so thirsty. And then once you get there, they're like, hey, we're going to give you something we need you to drink. And you're like, I will drink motor oil. Just give me something right now. And then they give you something worse than motor oil. Like 
I would have rather drank in motor oil. What was that stuff? And they were like, well, we need this in your system. It'll come up on the scans we need to do. And it's just going to kind of do all this stuff. And you're just like, I have nothing in my stomach. Whatever that was just made it really bad right now. I'm just feeling terrible. And here's this, this passage. Jesus is weak and Satan comes to him. And this is so perfect because oftentimes Satan doesn't come when you and I are strongest. He comes when you are our weakest. When we've had a rough week. When guess what? It didn't go well. When we're a little discouraged, we're kind of distracted. It wasn't right after we came out of church or after a prayer meeting or after a small group. It came when we were down and Satan comes and Satan speaks to him and says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus is hungry. Jesus can take nothing and he turns it into bread and fish. But here, Satan is saying, hey, this is easy. Just turn these rocks into bread. Just kind of do it. If you're the son of God, if you really are who you say you are, just do it. I need you to understand, if you're going to hear from what God is saying, you have to block out what the enemy is suggesting. Let me say it again, because that's worth writing down, tweeting, hashtagging, and meditating on this week. If you are going to hear what God is saying, you have to block out what the enemy is suggesting. Don't get me wrong. There have been people I've met with and they're just like, I'll have these crazy thoughts. Like, just take this car and drive off this bridge. Where do you think that came from? That didn't come from the Bethmore Bible study. It's not where it came from. That didn't come, that thought didn't come from church. Hey, things may be going bad at the job, but that job, your boss didn't tell you to do that. And if he did, sue him, okay? It's like, you need to get help with that guy. But understand this morning that there are things the enemy is going to be suggesting and put it into your life. And if you're listening to those, if you're giving pause, you're never going to be able to do what God is saying for you to do. So Satan, he suggests not only once, twice, but three times. And and Jesus each time comes back and says, hey, it is written. Going back to the word of God, going back to hear from God. You see, when Satan wants to stop your destiny, he tries to steal your identity. He asks Jesus, if you think you're the son of God, if you really are, and he'll say the same thing to you. Oh, you know what? You act like a Christian. I don't know if you're a very good one. Hey, let me just break it down for you. We're not very good Christians. It's the Christ in us that makes us righteous and pure and holy and favored and accepted and loved and beloved. It is only by the work of his grace inside of me that I am anything. It is not anything I've done and it's not anything you do. It's not your good looks, good works, anything. It is only by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that we are anything this morning. And so Satan may come to you and say, well, you're not a great husband and you're not a good wife and you're not a good parent. You're not this. And at those moments, we have to shut the devil down with, guess what? what? None of those are why I'm going to heaven. You're not going to heaven because you're a good mom or dad. You're not going to heaven because you're a good parent. You're not going to heaven because you go to church. You're going to heaven because of Jesus Christ when you accepted him into your heart. And you'll remind the enemy of that when he starts putting thoughts in your mind. Because I meet too many Christians who walk out of church never to come back. Why? Because they bought into that they're listening to the suggestions of the devil instead of saying what does God say about me because Satan's going to try to strip down your identity strip it down strip it down strip it down constantly work you over to the point and if you keep listening you're going to walk up wake up one day and just think I'm done with church I'm just done with it all I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go a different direction in life now because he's just taken things from you but here's what Jesus knew And this is a great illustration that we're going to kind of close things up on. You ever met a kid who was just kind of, um, oh, how should we put it? Very self-confident. 
Like they have no problem telling you they're really great at something. They're just really good at something. There was a father having a conversation with his son. And his son had this issue. His son was 10 years old. And his son would like to tell other people at school that, hey, I'm the best baseball player. And I'm great at video games. And I, I build Legos better than anybody else. And, and the, the school teacher told the father and said, hey, you know, your son, he just keeps saying this to the other kids. And then when we ask him, he says, well, that's what my daddy tells me at home. So his dad's like, yeah, I'm trying to encourage him, build his self-confidence, you know, be a good parent. But I mean, he can't be going telling the other kids he's the best in the world and that kind of thing. So the father sits his son down and says, son, hey, you, you, you're really good at baseball. You're really good at these things. It's because I love you. Um, but you can't tell the other kids that you're the best. And he says, well, well, what should I tell them when they ask me if I'm good at baseball? If they say, are you any good at baseball? What should I tell them? And the dad came up with this perfect saying. He said this. He said, you tell your friends when they ask you, are you good at baseball? My father thinks I am. My father thinks I am. Hey, are you good at school? My father thinks I am. Hey, are, are you good at video games? My father thinks I am. Hey, are, are you good uh, at, at, at music? My father thinks I am and just went down the list. Here's what's awesome about this passage. Satan's trying to strip away Jesus' identity. But the last verse of Matthew chapter number three is so powerful. It's verse number 17. Jesus has just been baptized and comes up out of the water. And you know what happens? The Bible says that the heaven kind of parts, the clouds part, and a voice from heaven comes out. You know what the voice says? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. His father thought he was. Satan says, if you think you're the son of God. No, no, no. My father thinks I am. Guess what, Christian? This morning, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have a heavenly father. And so when Satan says, I don't think you're a very good Christian, or you think you're a good Christian, you think you're a good parent, you can say with utter confidence, with boldness, you can declare it and says, my father thinks I am. Oh, you think you can get up there and play the drums, play the guitar, and you think you're all that? Guess what? My father thinks I am. Oh, you think somebody loves you? Nobody loves you. Guess what? My father thinks I'm loved. And when you feel like uh, discouraged, you feel like depressed, and you feel like you're going to give up, that's when you just say to the enemy, my father thinks I am. My father thinks I'm something special, so special. He sent his one and only son to die on a cross for my sins. That makes me pretty important. My father thinks I'm special. So this morning, are we hearing from God? Because we all have a destiny. A destiny is our life just lived on purpose. That's destiny. That's where God wants us to live. It's where he wants us to end up. But what's stopping you and I from achieving that destiny is the dialogue that we're engaging with. And this morning, the challenge for us is to say, I need to hear from God. I need to make sure that I've got a direct access with God, that I'm hearing from God, that I'm not letting a distraction in, that I'm not letting some other voice in. So don't, don't be distracted to the point of despair. Decide who you will dialogue with. And remember that no one ever drifted to their destiny. Let's all stand as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We need you. We can't live without you.